Welcome to the 23 Minutes in Hell podcast. Author and speaker Bill Weiss and his wife Annette address the many questions we all have about hell and eternity. Bill and Annette believe the subject of hell shouldn't grip us with fear, but instead, it should inspire us to use our time on earth wisely. Thank you for joining my wife and I. Today we are sharing true stories of God's intervention. You know, and I'm going to share five or six uh, stories about not only God's intervention, but about God's goodness, His patience, His love, and His long-suffering. I mean, God is amazing. And uh, I'm going to start off with this story. You know, I was a realtor, many of you know, and when I, I listed a home that was for sale in the neighborhood that we lived in at the time, and the owner was about 93 years old. He was an atheist. He was uh, very educated. He was a historian, and, um, but he was very arrogant, condescending, and he made fun of me with the Bible and God. He just thought it was a joke, and I'd witnessed to him throughout the escrow. But uh, at one point, I asked him, well, tell me a little bit about your background. Well, he shared that he was in World War II and that uh, three separate times bombs had dropped around his platoon and every single person was killed except for him. He was the only one that survived three different times. That's a miracle from God. Right. And then even after that, he was in a severe car accident. Everyone died in the car except for him. Now, I said to him, now, don't you see that God was looking out for you? Can you not see that? What's the chance of you surviving all those times when everybody else died? God kept you alive to get you saved. That's God's mercy. You're 93, and he's given you mercy all these years to repent and turn to him. He, he just laughed. He said, I don't believe any of that. I said, how could you deny it? You're, you're an educated man. How could you not see that that's a miracle that you're alive and you made it and you're, all your friends died in those explosions and in the car. And he would not see it. And he just made fun of the Bible, refused to see it. And, and uh, anyway, the, the escrow closed and I never made any headway with him. But I planted a lot of seed. So I don't know what happened to him. I'm sure he's died by now. That was quite a few years ago. But um, it just shows the stubbornness of man. And yet God's goodness, allowing him all those years to live and to repent. That reminds me, too, of what it says, Bill, in Romans 2, 4. It says, and do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? And that is so much God's goodness, Bill, to send you at that late age of his life to give him clearly the gospel right? and explaining to him his need for Jesus and to repent. You know, and also I like how the, the New Living Translation says that same verse. It says, since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? But because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. That's right. And I told him that. I, I told him, God's goodness with you now 
but um, there's a time coming when you're going to have to be judged for your sins because you would refuse to repent and acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He would not acknowledge that. God's great mercy. I mean, giving him all those warnings through you through that whole entire escrow period, which was probably right, 45 was, days to two months. Right. right. You know, Second Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's God's heart. And then Second Peter 3.15 says, And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. That's his purpose in uh, bearing along with man, so that man can repent and get saved. And he does try with every single person throughout their whole lifetime to reach them. Right. You know, and this scripture is for me, actually, after I talked to him. You know, Acts 18.6 says, But when they opposed and insulted him, Paul shook the dust from his clothes and said, Your blood is upon your own heads. I am innocent. So Paul declared the gospel to these people. They refused to listen. They made fun of it. And uh, he said, I'm free from your blood. I'm innocent because I've shared with you the gospel. That's how I felt. I told him the truth, and he refused. He mocked it. Well, his blood is on his own head. And that's like what the Lord shared with you um, when you came back from your 23 minutes in hell experience. And that first year, you felt so like almost overwhelmed, agitated with people. You wanted to shake them and tackle everybody to get saved. And then the Lord said to you, you know, what did he say again, Bill? He said, uh, you're not the savior. You're just the delivery boy. You know, because I looked at a crowd of people and, and I thought, well, most people are not saved. What can I do? I've got to talk to them. And I had this urgency to want to witness to everybody because I just seen hell, how horrifying it really is. And these people don't know. They just mock it and laugh at it. So it, it was a burden for me to, I was, but God had to calm me down. Yeah, he had, it was a burden you weren't meant to carry. You're right. meant to deliver the message, but you're not the Savior. Exactly. That's so good. Right. You know, just to share another story, um, we were traveling on a plane like usual, and uh, the seat next to me on the plane was vacant. So my wife and I were in the two, and then there was a third. Well, right across the aisle, straight across the aisle, there was a lady sitting in the seat that's also on the aisle. So... It was exact same seat just across the aisle. But she gets up from her seat and moves over and sits at the seat next to me. And she sat down. She goes, I don't know why I'm doing this because this is exact same seat just on the other side of the aisle. And I already knew why. Because, you know, my wife and I had already said, Lord, we're available to witness to anybody you want us to. We're available. Now, even though I was exhausted and I didn't feel like it, I just wanted to rest because we just finished a trip uh, ministering. But I knew that God moved her there. So I began sharing with her. We talked about the business real estate because that's what she was in. And we talked about that for quite a long time. And then she asked me what I do. And I shared with her ministering the gospel and teaching the gospel. And I shared with her the way of salvation and all that. But she didn't accept the Lord. But I invited her to a church that we were just flying to, which was in her hometown, and uh, which was in our hometown. We were going home to speak at this church. And I invited her to come. Well, she came, and she brought two of her friends, and we saved them seats up front. Well, all three of them came forward and gave their heart to Jesus. So the point was, the Lord knew that I would share the gospel with her. So that's why he moved her. If he knew I wasn't available and I wouldn't do it, then he wouldn't have moved her. So that was an opportunity for us 
to share the way of salvation, and this person ends up going to heaven along with her two friends. So it's just making yourself available to God. He's so faithful, and he will bless you for it. Yes, what uh, what an obvious intervention God did there in just moving on her heart to move her seat right, to sit next exactly. to you. Now, this next story is a little bit lengthy, but it's very unusual. Um, there was a man that owned a house. He was 97 years old, and uh, he had two daughters that were 75. Well, the daughters hated each other. They, had, uh, they didn't even contact each other. They never talked, and they both despised their father. Now, their father was divorcing their mother. Uh, he's 97, and she's 90. And, and that's when they're getting the divorce. You're getting a divorce at this age because he said that she was running around having an affair because she's a younger woman. I mean, she was 90. Now, he was out of his mind. He just wasn't sure right. Having mental issues. And also, she was had Lou Gehrig's disease. So she was dying and only had a couple of weeks to live. Well, uh, now she ended up in the hospital. She was so sick. And she wanted to will her half of the house to the one daughter, and he wanted to will the other half to the other daughter. Well, they had less than two weeks to draw up a will and get all this done. She's in the hospital, can barely move, and so forth. So it went to court in uh, Los Angeles. And um, I was summoned to the court. I didn't know that somehow I got elected to be the realtor uh, to sell the home. Well, it turned out that they got the separation in the property and got all that done, the will done, and they awarded the sale to me. Well, he was living in the home by himself, not really capable to be by himself, but there was no other family to watch over him. And so I had the key to the property, and I knocked on the door to go look at it. I hadn't seen it yet, and nobody answered, so I let myself in. When I went in the house, he came running down the stairs. I couldn't believe he could run, uh, 97, but he had a gun. And he chased me out of the house oh with a gun. And I'm running down the street. Neighbors were outside and they saw me run by and I waved to him. Hi, hi, Bill. <laughs> you know, and they, uh, anyway, this guy's actually chasing me with a and gun. And you're probably in a, I'm a in shirt a suit. and a t- t- yeah, tie. I'm in a suit. Well, anyway, so I stopped to talk. He ended up, I outran him and he stopped and he went back to his house. So I ended up talking to the people outside uh, by the entrance gate. Well, I didn't know he went back in the house, and he called the police on me and said that there was a man, a young man in a suit, who broke into my home. So, Oh, my goodness. So five police cars pull up, and they want to arrest me. And so I had to explain to him that, uh, you know, so they believed me when they went and investigated and saw him, and he was not in his right mind. But anyway, I had to get through all that. Then another time, he came and knocked on my door, and he said, I will kill you. And then he walked away. That is not good. No, no. Now, I called the two daughters, and they said, we don't want to have anything to do with him. I said, well, you have to. I mean, this is your dad, and somebody's got to get him out of the house once I sell it. And the one daughter was a Christian. The other one was not. So I told the daughter that was a Christian, I said, look, it says uh, to honor your parents that it will go well with you, and you'll live long on the earth, Ephesians 6, 2. I said, you have to honor your parents. This is wrong for you to do this. And uh, then I said, look, your sister, you need to talk to her. She goes, we haven't talked in years. And I said, well, you need to forgive her or whatever the situation is. Because even Matthew 5, 24 says, before we leave our gift at the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, first be reconciled to thy brother. 
Now, it's her sister, of course, in this sure. case. But I said, look, if you're going to tithe or give offerings as a Christian, you need to go first and now reconcile with your sister and get this right. And you also need to step up to the line and take care of him. And once we get him out, he has to have a place to go, you know, get out of the home. Exactly. Plus, the unforgiveness is going to hinder her relationship with God anyways. Exactly. So she finally understood and she got it. She flew out from wherever. She was in Florida and uh, flew out there. And I met with her. She ended up calling her sister. Her sister flew out. I got them two to reconcile. And they forgave each other, they got together again, and they agreed to take care of their dad and get him out. So I had to still sell the home and get in the home with him there. One other time I came in and he had the gas burners on on the stove. One was a fire burning on the stove. The other one was just the gas going with no flame. And the house was filled with the smell of gas. I knew it could blow up at any moment, so I turned the gas things off. Anyway, these are the things I had to endure for months with him to get this house sold. But we finally got it sold. And the daughters got him out into a, a you know, some kind of a, a home. And they reconciled with and one another. And they reconciled, right. So that was, you know, God's love and grace and mercy on his, the whole situation. Yes, and his great intervention um, because you chose to obey God, you know, in your character and how you were behaving through the whole escrow, even though it was very challenging. You know, Bill, I think it's pretty cool that you found this letter dated May 7th of 2001 from one of the sisters who was thanking you for helping them and reconciling with their sister and helping her dad. And I just want to read a few sentences from it. I just think this is so neat. She said, um, not only were you faced with a court appearance and the implied travel time to Los Angeles, you staunchly endured working with two different attorneys, two quite different sisters, and two different clients Juggling closings, escrow glitches, phone calls and messages, all the while having to incorporate concerns pertaining to one 97-year-old obstinate, stubborn, and unyielding Italian whose age and uninvited memory problems lie at the core of all the above. Right. (laughs) So, yeah, and it goes on. The letter goes on. Um, She thanked me a lot for it. And it was a lot of work. It took six months to have that all work out. And she admitted she was very saddened by her dad's decline and so forth. So it was a good thing you got them involved, got them together, and to start figuring out how to help their father. Right. He probably would have died, and they would have never even known. Yeah, exactly, or burned the house down or something. Right. Uh, Another situation, we were speaking at a church, and um, the mother came up to me afterwards to tell me, um, well, let's see, how did this go? She told me that her son came, and he was not interested in anything I had to say. He just did not believe me. He was an atheist. I remember that. And he was a teenager. Well, um, I I talked to him, and I was really uh, felt like the Lord said, be really, look this guy in the eye, be so sincere with him, which I would normally, but just to take the effort and try to really tell him how much God loves him and that God is true. It's There's no atheism as far as God has created everything, you know, and created you, and he loves you. And uh, I spent like 20 minutes with him at the church. Well, he, he seemed to listen at least, and then uh, he left. Well, I don't know, it was a week later or something, the mother ends up finding our phone number, calling us, and she said, you won't believe what happened, but my son, uh, he was walking across the highway like a few days later after your meeting, and in the middle of the highway, suddenly his legs were frozen and he couldn't move. He just could not move, and he fell over in the middle of the street. 
Now, it was a quiet street. It wasn't like a heavily traveled street. But when he looked up on the side of the road, there was a cross planted on the side of the road, just a cross in the middle of nowhere. And he said that right away God spoke to him and said, that man told you the truth. He looked you in the eye and he told you the truth about heaven and hell and salvation. You need to listen. And he was so shook up, they brought him to the hospital and they couldn't figure out what was wrong with his legs. I mean, why they wouldn't move. They couldn't find any. They did all kinds of tests, couldn't find anything. But anyway, he finally repented in the hospital and received Jesus as the Lord and Savior. Once he did that, his legs were freed and he could walk. Isn't that amazing miracle? So God is so amazing that he would do that. And the mother had been praying for him. Yes. See, that's the reason. She didn't give up on her son and uh, she was diligent to pray. But there's a couple of verses Yes, I love that about God. Hebrews 2, 4 fits this um, situation. It says, And God confirmed the message by giving signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit whenever he chose. Right. And Romans fifteen nineteen says, They were convinced by the power of miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's Spirit. So that, that convinced him when his legs were frozen and he fell down. And then there's a cross right by the side of the road. Yeah, so God was using signs to get signs. through to this young man, you know, and he will do that. You know, God will speak to people in all kinds of ways. That's right. You know, just to arrest their attention. That's amazing. You know, another story real quickly. Uh, we were on a plane again, and the lady next to us uh, was a nurse. So we were talking, and she's sharing about her, what she does, and so forth. And she was flying to a conference in Los Angeles for all the nurses in the area. And um, anyway, I shared with her what, you know, about heaven and hell and who goes there and so forth. And I ended up mentioning that we wrote a book called 23 Minutes in Hell. And um, anyway, so we shared with her as much as we could on the plane but she didn't repent or receive Jesus, but she listened. Yeah, she did listen. I remember that. Well, then, anyway, about a week later or so, we got a, uh, email an email from her mm-hmm. saying that she went to the nurses' conference, and this is the strangest thing that got her attention. She said, on the background screen up on the stage, they usually have like a syringe or a stethoscope or something to do with medical. Sure, you know, exactly. And she said it was a huge screen on the stage. A huge screen, and it was filled with flames of fire. Uh, Why would you do that that at a a nurse's conference? Right. She said, I've never seen that. I've been to many of them. They've never had that ever. Why would they do that? That uh, caused her to want to go get our book. So she went and bought the book, read it, and got saved. Yeah, and she emailed us to tell us that, the whole story. So that was just, again, God's intervention in her life. I mean, putting us next to her on the plane and... Just you sharing with her and right. then and about God the fires speak, of hell. Yeah, and then God speaking to her through this backdrop on the stage, on the screen, a fire. A fire. That's amazing. You know, Acts 14, 3 says, And the Lord proved their message was true by giving them power to do miraculous signs and wonders. So it was a really a sign and wonder in the sense that they chose to put a fire on Exactly. The, that was know. like a definitely a sign to her. It's a sign to her. That's right. One last story. Um, we had uh, spoke at a church, and a lady came up to us, and she says, Bill, I'm, I teach problem teenage students, the ones that really have difficulty. I have a class with them, and uh, they're really difficult to handle. But she said they have a man comes in every 15 minutes to make sure it all stays calm because sometimes they get riled up and get into fights and so forth. So, But she says one day 
one of the students asked me a question that was about your book, had read your book, 23 Minutes in Hell, which I was surprised because these were not Christian people. No, I uh, think this was like junior, if I remember, it was like um, like eighth grade or so, junior high students. Yeah. And uh, anyway, so the, the student asked a question that was in the book. Well, she happened to have read our book. So she was familiar with it. And now she was. She said it's against the, the school rules to ever bring up anything about religion or God or Jesus. You cannot talk about it at all. But the student asked the question. So she was careful and answered his question. Well, then another student asked a question. And then a third student asked a question. And hell, of course, a supernatural experience about hell is going to stir up questions with young people. Right. Well, for the entire uh, semester... They discussed our, my book. Yeah, didn't she bring it in, or they would read? Parts they brought of it? they brought it in. Oh, the and, student did. Yes, and they ended up for the entire semester discussing the book and asking all these questions. At the end of the semester, uh, all of them got saved. She led them all to the Lord. But here's the other point: not one time did a man come in to check the the students. Every fifteen minutes, they were supposed to have a man come in to check. Not one time in the whole semester did a man come in. I love that. They were God. left alone because if they would have been there here talking about God, the Bible, they would have uh, stopped it. Oh, exactly. But that, you know, that reminds me of the verse in um, Psalms 31, 20. I mean, God hid them. So that is so amazing that he would do that. Right. Let me just try to find that verse Psalms here. Psalms 31, 20. Um, it says, thou shalt hide them in the secret place of thy presence from the pride of man Thou shalt keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. So God hid the class from the man, and they got to get them all saved. It was just an amazing story. You know, God is so faithful, and also she was wise in how she handled that. She only answered their questions. And, uh, you know, Matthew ten sixteen, Jesus said, Be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. She showed love to them and just answered their questions. You know, but this makes me also think of this verse, Hebrews 10, 23. You know, it says, he is faithful that promised. God is always faithful if we will trust in him. Yes, to intervene and get a hold of people and, that's right. and lead them to Christ. That's right. That's our, that's our job as Christians. Amen. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please be sure to leave us a rating or comment. We value your feedback. Stay in touch and learn more about this ministry by visiting us at soulchoiceministries.org.